This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn and it is November the 5th. Now, I'm not sure what your expectations, your hopes were for this week, whether you're happy with the outcomes of the election or not. Regardless, I hope you are safe and managing in the most positive way, taking time away from devices, eating well, drinking water, hiking, playing with your pets and hanging out with your family and not talking about politics. I am not doing any of those things. So this is very much a do as I say, not as I do situation. Now, there is one election result I do want to mention, and I think it's something we can all be happy about. And Denver voters have said that they don't agree with the current ban on pit bulls. After more than three decades of banning the pit bull breeds, that will come to an end in January. On last week's episode, senior legislative attorney for Best Friends, Aliti Van Cabbage, mentioned the measure voters in the city of Denver had in front of them that would repeal the ban. Almost 65% of Denver residents voted to lift it. Owners will have to obtain a license and follow certain rules such as ownership limits, but it is a huge moment for dog owners there and a big victory for so many advocates who have worked tirelessly trying to get that ban lifted. Podcast at bestfriends.org. That is the email address. I'll give you a second here, stop what you're doing, grab a pen. If you're driving, definitely pull over. Safety first, please. Now, the reason it's important is that I will be interviewing the cat daddy himself, Jackson Galaxy, very soon. Super excited to have him as a guest. So we thought, hey, why don't we see what questions you'd like to ask Jackson Galaxy and get them answered? So again, podcast at bestfriends.org. My wife already submitted hers. It's related to litter box etiquette. I don't want to give it away, but it's a good one. And I can't wait to hear his answer. Again, your questions for Jackson Galaxy podcast at bestfriends.org. For this week, we're also talking about cats, but in a different way, because we're talking about podcasting. Well, sort of, not really, kind of. The world of podcasting is crazy. There are so many podcasts, 1.5 million, I think. I mean, there are so many podcasts that only talk about podcasting. I mean, it would blow your mind. There are true crime podcasts, news, health, science. But what about podcasts that talk about saving the lives of animals in shelters? There aren't too many, but what we do have is good. Just a partial list of some that I like. The Alliance podcast from the Humane Rescue Alliance. The Animal Professionals podcast by my friend Chris Roy from Dubert. The Panhandle Animal Shelter in Idaho has one called People Are Animals Too. Darn it. And then one of the best there is. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. The host, Stacey LeBaron, has been at it for a while. Tuesday's episode was number 376. Prolific. It's not just about the numbers, though. The podcast offers great information from great guests. But as you'll learn, Stacey LeBaron is much more than just a podcast host, and the Community Cats podcast is much more than just a podcast. Stacey, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's great to meet you, too. And thank you so much for letting me be on the show. I think you're in Vermont. 
I am. I do. I live in Warren, Vermont. So I, I moved up here about seven years ago from Massachusetts. I ran an organization in Massachusetts for about 20 years. So yeah, I moved up here. I've never been to Vermont. That's nice. It's green. Very green. Sounds great. Although uh, you've got what, like a couple of weeks before it snows? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it starts getting pretty cold here at the end of November, really. All right. So yeah. before we jump into your background, uh, which is extensive, I know, but I read on your website that you only have one cat. I actually have no cats now, right now. I know it's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I had 11 at one point in time and then just, you know, through attrition, my colony has gotten down to zero. He passed away in April. So sort of a pandemic kitty situation. Um, and uh, so it's really sad, uh, but um, I'm taking a rest. This is the first time since I was... 20 years old that I haven't had a pet in the house. Listen, let me know if you need any leads on that. I'm pretty sure I can help you, <laughs> although I'm sure you don't need any help finding cats. Yeah. You know, one of the strange things, and I'll have to be brutally honest, is um, over all the years of being involved in cat rescue and taking care of cats and running a shelter with 80 cats in it and all that kind of stuff is, I really developed an aversion to doing the litter boxes. And it's just, it was one of those things, I don't know, some behavioral thing that I had. And so I'm very much appreciating the fact I don't have any litter boxes in my house right now. Yeah. I've said this on the podcast before, you know, if I had a billion dollars, I would have uh, an untold number of cats and as many people on staff to scoop litter pans as I would need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. So I'm sort of, yeah, I'm taking a rest and just sort of taking the, it's been a rough couple of years for me with, with loss of pets and family and that kind of thing. So just trying to take it a little slow. Truly sorry to hear that and totally understandable. I want to talk about the podcast. I, tell me a little bit about your background in animal welfare. Yeah. Yeah. I got involved back in 1994. Um, I started volunteering with a group called the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society out of Newburyport, Massachusetts. And that was an organization that back then in 1994, they were doing trap neuter return on the Newburyport waterfront for about 300 cats. And um, they were doing early age spay neuter, eight week old kittens were getting spayed and neutered before adoption. And they were just starting their adoption programs and everything. And um you know, 94, I started out as a secretary on their board of directors. The next year I was vice president. The next year I was president. So 1996, I became president of the board, which meant I was director of operations. I was executive director. You know, it was a very small grassroots organization at that point in time. And um, I stayed uh, as president of the board and in that executive director role till 2012. Um, and so, so I was involved running the organization for a good solid 16 years and we grew the program. We ran two mobile spay neuter clinics. So we had two cat mobiles on the road and, um, so spay neutered over 60,000 cats that way, ran an adoption program, ran a sanctuary, free spay neuter for feral cats on Sundays, pretty much any program that was out there and that I heard about, I felt like we needed to try it and, and do it. And, you know, we all learn a lot of different lessons in this process. I mean, some are good and some are bad, but we kind of all need to learn them on our own for some reason. Like I can say, hey, I learned this lesson. You know, maybe you shouldn't do this, but everybody always has to learn and discover on their own and sort of appreciate that. And um, so we've kind of been involved in everything and, and that's been great. And near the end of my time at MRFRS, I ran a mentoring program with about 80 organizations across the United States of organizations wanting to start a trap new to return program. And that was really fun. It's really great to 
learn and hear the different challenges in different areas of the country. It was just, it was a lot of fun to get to know a lot of different people who love and are passionate about cats and just want to help them and learn different ways to work in their own communities. And I had a great time doing that. And then when I sort of retired to Vermont, um, I had 400 groups on my waiting list. And so I needed to figure out a way to help those groups without necessarily still running a mentoring program. And the podcast was born. For anybody that is a listener of the Community Cats podcast, they will know you are a prolific podcaster, uh, if that's the right way to say it. Uh, I looked this morning and you, you're over like 350 episodes. Yeah, I started in 2016 with, a, with a, you know, and you'll, your hat will probably fall off when I say this, but we were doing five shows a week when we started out. And uh, so you know how much work and time goes into that. And then we phase down to about three shows a week. And now we're at one show a week. And we run a whole slew of other educational events. And I'll do pop-up panels if I feel like there's something happening out there in the world and that, that we need to share. And so we do a lot of um, of you know different things. I have an online cat conference, online kitten conference. Um, Feline Leukemia Day is something I just did a few weeks ago, and that was really well-received, and it was a lot of fun. So I'm all about education, and I'm all about sharing, opening the doors to folks, realizing they're not just alone in all of this, whether they're feeding one colony of cats or feeding one cat or executive director of a multi-million dollar organization. We're all in this together, and if anyone needs to talk, I'm there for them and, and we'll do the best I can for them. What I find so fascinating, Stacey, about your podcast, the work you do, is you're able to talk to so many different people working in so many different ways to save cats. Like you get this amazing 30,000 foot view of the whole issue from all of these different people and angles. And we know the cats continue to be the animals most often killed in shelters, two to one. So for every dog killed, two cats meet the same fate. And it is better than where we were 10 years ago, but the numbers are really not showing a huge improvement right now, year over year, at least not like we'd hope or, or you know, expect to see. But over your history and with the podcast, all of these voices you hear from, are you feeling the shift? Uh, do you feel like we're making the progress like we, we need to be? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's coming down to understanding what our priorities are and understanding how our communities are multi-layered with the services that they need in order to be able to assist cats. Now, I'd love to be able to talk about dogs too, but I'm going to focus on cats because it's my species of choice. Um, but we have our our toolkit of different opportunities, different types of programs, different types of services that we need multi-layered within our community in order to be successful to help those cats. Um, one of those factors, and I have a I have a graphic called the Community Cats Pyramid, which really outlays, here's the best way to spend your resources depending on the issues that you have going on in your community. So if you still have an overpopulation problem of cats, too many cats coming into your shelters, too many cats out on the streets, uh, too many complaints, too many hit by car cats, those kinds of things, then you still really need to address the overpopulation issue in your community. And you really need to make spaying and neutering accessible and affordable for owned cats, as well as for trap neuter returns. So most people, if you've got a price barrier, $150, $200 for a spay, you're not going to be able to do 
20 to 30 cats in your backyard. So you've got to work on overcoming those financial barriers to accessibility. But if your community is different and you have already a program in place that offers free spay neuter in your community, then maybe there's more conflict negotiation issues. Maybe there's more grassroots efforts that you need to do. So there are these different components in the community that's really going to be able to drill down and get those final numbers to a level where you aren't going to see on a, you know, the euthanasia happening in shelters that um, might not necessarily be you know, required or necessary. So um, there really isn't um, a reason to kill in shelters. There is a reason to euthanize in shelters if there are cats that are in pain and suffering and have medical issues that just aren't resolvable, then yes, there's a, a place for euthanasia for all of us. But with regards to treatable situations, there's a place that you know can resolve those issues in, in any community. But there's different stages and different levels that we all go through, and we just need to be able to analyze and see where we're at and work together collaboratively as organizations, because you might have a group in town that only bottle feeds neonatal kittens. Well, that's great. That's a wonderful service. We shouldn't expect them to be anything other than they are unless they want to be. But then we need to make sure we've got enough services in our other organizations to be able to be um, collaborative and, um, and also to work together to provide a synergy in that community so that then we aren't falling, you know, the cats aren't falling through the cracks, really. So that's the way I look at communities in this holistic picture and just trying to make sure that there's, you know, no cat left behind is the reality, really. We had Dr. Kate Hurley on the podcast a few episodes ago uh, from the Million Cat Challenge. And I talked about the struggles that I have on my local next door, you know, that neighborhood app. And I don't think I'm alone in this, but I, I, if I had a nickel, right, I could make a living just responding to people there. <laughs> and there are so many people good people, cat lovers, they have the best intentions, right? They see a cat, they want to save the cat. They scoop up the cat, either keep or maybe rehome. And we know that just isn't the right thing. But people see a cat outside and think the cat should be inside. And while that is changing. I think we're getting the message out. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that we're getting it out loud enough of what really is best for cats, even if that goes against what we may feel is best. Right. Yeah. Well, and also um, they need to learn how to look at that individual cat. I think we just equate too much cat stuff with dog stuff. You know, we're used to having you know, dogs have licenses, dogs are on leashes, dogs are a controlled animal to a certain degree. Cats live a different kind of lifestyle than dogs. And we as humans need to be able to relate with them. Cats love hunting. Cats like independence. They, you know, they want certain levels of stimulation and freedom and, and that kind of thing. And there are things that we can do from a visual standpoint, not touching, not going on, you know, but we can visually determine whether those cats have somebody taking care of them um, and are are being looked after by the community in some way. Does the cat have an ear tip, the left snip on the left ear? Does the cat's coat and body weight, do they look good? Are their eyes running and goopy? Are they compromised? If they're compromised within the community, maybe they do need assistance. So there's a checklist that we all can share with our community members to be able to determine um, whether or not a cat is 
supported by the community in some way or not. And I mean, in, in my mind, if that cat's not sterilized, that cat, that's the first line of our defense that we need to make sure that is happening. Sterilized, fixed, however you spayed or neutered, however you want to phrase it. Um, so, you know, that's obviously the tip and the spaying and neutering is really important. Um, we have, there's a lot of flow charts out there that are really good about helping folks in the community understand, should I help? Should I not help? Should I feed? Should I not feed? If you've got 18 year old, I mean, 18 year old, 18 pound cat, you know, waddling through your yard with a nice little left ear tip, I don't think you need to put food out for that cat. But, you know, if, if you have a cat that is having running goopy eyes and the coat doesn't look good and that kind of thing, maybe you do want to put some food out and, um, and do a bit of research to find out if there is someone caring for that cat. So I hope that makes sense. It does. Absolutely. And, you know, I still hate that we have to say to someone, what you're doing in your heart, you're saving the cat. But that really isn't helping to save the lives of cats. And, you know, getting people to see the big picture, you know, there's this kind of, uh, oh, look, a cat on my doorstep. Let me save that cat. Oh, another cat on my doorstep. You know, at what point do people think or how can we help them understand, you know, why are cats still showing up? Right. Well, and then looking at the resources that we spend with regards to animals. I mean, so as your income level goes up, the number of dogs you have go up. As your income level goes down, the number of cats you have goes up. So, you know, cats are really pets of the poor. So what you want to do is make sure, in my mind, is really focusing to make sure that the, the resources are there, the veterinary, the wellness, the community support is there in, um, in those areas so that folks can get the necessary assistance that they need for those cats. And I mean, if you're going to try and rehome cats, um, which may or may not be the right tact to take, but if you do, don't you want that cat spayed or neutered first? I mean, who wants to take an unneutered male into their house? You know, who wants to own an unneutered male cat? And most of the cats that are coming out of those communities aren't sterilized. So how can they live indoors? I mean, how do you have, you know, an in-heat cat or an unneutered cat live in an indoor environment? Um, so that's why in November in New England, we get a lot of phone calls about free neutering or subsidized neutering or, you know, those types of benefits because the cats are starting to come in because it's cold and they're stinking up the house. And so, you know, my focus is always on Adam and Eve. You know, there's Adam living in one house and Eve is living in the other house. And I want to make sure that those guys are getting the necessary spaying and neutering, the vaccines that they need, ideally in, in some worlds, a microchip or some form of identification, a tip or something, so that then if they do happen to get let out or abandoned or whatever, um, they're not going to be adding kittens to that population because kittens is really where the biggest mover of the needle is, is by not having kittens born out there, you're going to reduce your overall population due to attrition. So Newburyport, we started out with 300 cats on the waterfront. In 2008, we have zero. You know, it was 14 feeding stations, 300 cats, and now there's nothing. So you can you can reduce your overall um, cat population. Um, and there are some cats that are outdoors there, but they're frequent flyers. They're chipped. They come to the shelter. We say, hey, Fluffy, how are you? Let's go back to, you know, and then the community gets to know each other and they know that Fluffy, you know, belongs to so-and-so and that kind of thing. So there's a whole knowledge base that goes on in that. And it's good for you to know your neighbors. That's healthy. 
Um, so you do need to reach out and get to know your neighbors, but we also have a big distrust of community and our community members at, at a certain level also. And that's a challenge too. Yeah, right. Get to know your neighbors. That's a whole other topic for a podcast, but you, know, you mentioned culture. You've had some great guests on your podcast that I think are really out there in the cat culture world uh, that are also pushing the topic of saving lives. For, for example, I think of Mo Show, the cat rapper, uh, you know, and the culture thing, it's always something that just like twists my noodle. We love cats. Culturally, we love cats. The internet was built for cats, right? Uh, Instagram, CatCon. And, you know, if we can get people lined around the block for CatCon, a cat convention, how are we, can we get all of these people engaged with the cause of cats being killed in shelters. Right, right. Well, and I think it goes back into that um, believing in yourself and believing that you can be empowered to make change. So one of the best things that's come out of COVID, um, you know, for right or wrong, but the hashtag stay home and foster campaign, that was something that was very tangible to an individual saying, I can do this to help an animal. And this was my you know, individual volunteer opportunity that I could do. It was simple. It was clear. It was focused. And it wasn't like, well, we need to change the policy for how cats are spayed and neutered or whatever. You know, It was a very uh, clear and focused ask. And I think that that has helped change a mindset. So there are a lot of in individuals out there you know, Mo Show's one of them, um, Jackson Galaxy, many other. They're, they are not part of an organization. They're individuals making change. And I think over the last five to seven years, you know, Hannah Shaw, um, Sterling Davis, these individual leaders have come forward and said, you know, as one person, we can make this change. And so we're not falling back and depending upon organizations for making that change. And I mean, there certainly is a role for organizations, but I think that these role models are really good for the individuals that are out there because the cat world can be very isolating. There are a lot of people that I talk to. I'm the only one out there who cares about these cats. Uh, it's just me. Um, you know, that it's, I can't even imagine anyone else going through this, yada, yada, yada. And now we're seeing that it's more than just one. There's more. And so hopefully that will bring some more unity. Um, yeah, CatCon is very commercial, but also there's an educational component. So maybe bits by bits, we'll be getting more people involved. I would like Trap Neuter Return, Trap Neuter vac Vaccinate Return to be part of our normal culture. The organization I grew up in, I grew up in back in 1994, I... I didn't know that euthanizing due to space constraints even existed probably until I became president in 96. You know, I just felt, oh, everybody must do TNR because that's how I was raised. I, everybody does early age spay neuter because that's what the MSPCA was saying in 1989. And we had two new veterinarians and they just said, this is what we're going to do. And so I was raised in this culture of like, oh, there's not even a question. And it seems like there are people that still are questioning that behavior, and that just needs to become our go-to behavior. We've done surveys at Best Friends. We know the majority of Americans don't want to see cats die in shelters. I think uh, the survey showed 70% of people support TNR. Right. I'm not sure if I made it clear earlier, but I'm a cat guy. I have four. Uh, and I just, it's so awful to me 
that we have so many cats every day losing their lives right. when they don't need to. Right, right. Well, and it does come back down to resources. I mean, if you had 10 unspayed or neutered cats in your backyard and you didn't have access to a spay-neuter procedure within 60 miles of you that was less than $200 a cat, how would you solve that problem? You'd put food out because you felt bad for them, right? Um, but what else could you afford to do? I mean, so there are points where it's not so obvious. I mean, I can tell anybody to go out there and start a spay-neuter clinic in their backyard, but that's a big conversation. Um, so it's it's not like those resources, if those resources are available um, and communicated everywhere across the country, so that means looking for black hole areas, if we can make sure that those resources are accessible and available all across the country, then there is no excuse. And I don't think that I think we would be fine. I think that it would be fine. But I certainly think that there's a lot of obstacles in quite a few areas. And we're at that point where we need to individually look community by community because there's different challenges in different places in the country. Stacy, you mentioned earlier, the, the briefly mentioned the educational things you offer. Will you talk a little bit more about those? Yeah, thank you. So um, you can always find out what we've got going on at the communitycatspodcast.com. That's our website. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, Community Cats Podcast. And, um, but we have uh, a lot of fundraising events. One coming up in January of uh, 2021 is our online cat conference. We're also going to do a spay-neuter conference in February, sort of around spay day and that, and that framework. Um, we've got the online kitten conference, which is in June. Um, I think it's June 11th through the 13th. And then we will probably do another feline leukemia day. We had a wonderful, wonderful time um, this past Jan July doing feline leukemia day, which was really fun. It was actually a nice change of scene to move away from COVID conversation. It was a little bit refreshing. People were like, oh, it's so easy to talk about feline leukemia versus coronavirus. So that was kind of refreshing. <laughs> um, and um, But we're always doing and We do a trapper uh, certification program with neighborhood cats. We have something going on at, at all times. And um, we do have a community cats grants program. I'm not sure if you know about that, John. So we work with um, nonprofits. They submit a very short um, application and they work with us for three months doing a fundraising initiative. And if they raise up to $1,000, we have grant money that will cover another $1,000 to help support their spay neuter efforts. Most of our organizations have uh, annual budgets of under $100,000 a year, sometimes even below that. So they're very small grassroots organizations. And we really want to help encourage them to do fundraising specifically for spaying and neutering because so much fundraising time and effort goes into adoptions and, um, you know, kittens and all that kind of stuff, which is all great. They all have their place. But uh, raising money for spaying and neutering of TNR or else owned cats is also critically important for success in the community. So I, I did have an ulterior motive for having you on, Stacy, which is I want you to do my research, my work for me. Uh, I, tell me who your favorite guests have been so I can get them on this podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Favorite, favorite guests. Not that there are um, any favorites, but right. being said. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, well, of course, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Trap Neuter Return folks that are doing Trap Neuter Return very strategically and successfully in their communities. Um, so I've always enjoyed having Anna Murren 
um, from Denver Metro Cats on the show and looking at the work that they're doing in Denver. Um, I mean, I love every week, every show that I do every week, and I try and change it up. I get kind of risky every now and again, too. So um, I'll do like in November, my shows will be themed more around like holidays. So people who have written books about Trap New to Return. So Anne Beale has written a couple of books in Chicago um, about some of her research around Trap New to Return. And then there's like funny things, um, you know, some some kids books, a lot of kids education. Um, and, uh, so it's, you know, you tell me what, what sort of category you're most interested in and I can share with you, but, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I thought I was going to run out of content and I am not even close. Stacy, I really appreciate you. And again, I, I think the community cats podcast is really great. Not only an issue that's near and dear to my heart, but it is something that is so incredibly needed to continue elevating uh, this issue as we work to save all the cats. John, I want to just uh, close out with one final phrase, and I would like to thank you and thank everybody who's listening to the podcast for turning your passion for cats into action. I really appreciate all of the time and the the thinking that we're doing today. I mean, great ideas, and um, I, I really appreciate it. So make sure you subscribe to the Community Cats podcast. We'll have a link up on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. And don't forget, send in your questions for Jackson Galaxy, podcast at bestfriends.org. That's the email address, again, podcast at bestfriends.org. The producers of the Best Friends podcast, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, and Mark Peralta. And will you promise me that you'll try to carve out some time for self-care this week? I promise to even try to take my own advice. Thanks for listening to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn.